Welcome to Driving Forces on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM. This is your weekly news show about policy and politics, and we're also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and each week my marvelous co-host, Celeste Katz, Marston, and I bring on elected officials and advocates to discuss the headlines and also the journalists who are behind the bylines or who are the bylines. We also invite you, our dedicated listeners, to call in with your thoughts. And that we're going to do again today in the second half of today's show. But first, please let me welcome our wonderful co-host, my wonderful co-host, Celeste. Good day to you, Celeste. Hi, Jeff. How's it going? I'm doing well. How have you been? What's, what's new in your world? Oh, you know, just the usual excitement, uh, being in the <laughs> news business, always an adventure. And I was actually just in the moments before the program, uh, looking at some of the, you know, sort of more bad news really for the media industry, looking at this story in the Times actually about Vice Media, which I think probably a bunch of people have heard of. It's not a traditional mainstream outlet, but it's gotten really big or did get really big at some point. They came out of bankruptcy last year and now they're looking at cutting hundreds and hundreds of people, which is just sort of another, uh, you know, sad installment in, in what's going on with media at large. And I know, Jeff, we're going to be talking about that in a, a future show very soon. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. That is an important topic. I'm glad we're going to be able to discuss that. One of the things I've been following, Celeste, has been what's been going on with the mayor and, with the mayor and budget cuts. Uh, yesterday, I don't know if our listeners knew about this, but the mayor walked back his next proposed round of budget cuts. Remember a few months ago, he announced three uh, stages of 5% cuts of city agencies, mainly driven, according to the mayoral administration, by the swelling costs of accommodating and assisting all of the migrants that have come to the city. Well, big news yesterday, the mayor basically announced he's nixing that expected third round of spending cuts in the face of higher than expected tax revenues and allowing agencies to, to restart some hiring. Now, the mayor, you know, his administration, Celeste, said the city is still not out of the woods, particularly given the need for more federal funding to address swelling costs due to the influx of migrants. So his announcement, by the way, comes only a week after the city's independent budget office reported that the city would see a higher budget surplus and lower costs, including for migrant services, than the mayor had originally forecast. So that's going to be something we're definitely going to be following, Celeste. I'm sure you find that fascinating, too, because the mayor came out and everyone like was in an uproar and now he's been backing off a lot. Right. And, you know, Jeff, that's not something that we haven't seen before. Sometimes these things are, in fact, test balloons and uh, people want to put it out there. You want to get the most you uh, can possibly get or by even threatening to do another cut round, then people in the second round or the first round or whatever it may be, you know, maybe add that little bit extra. Mm. But at some point, what it really comes down to, I think for you and me, you know, people who are, are from here or work here, pay taxes here, is what services are we actually getting for that money? And it's sort of whatever money you're spending, you expect to have stellar services or at least bearable services. You expect clean streets, safe subways. So I think that talking about the numbers is is super important and accountability of elected officials is super, super important. But I also just want to, you know, sort of remind myself constantly that this is really about how people live. Mm. Very, very good point. And speaking of how we live, I've been thinking about what my life is going to be like as I get older, particularly because, as you know, Celeste, I have a big birthday coming up in just a few months. I'm turning the big 6-0. 
But the reason this has also been on my mind is because I've been now much more cognizant of what I perceived, what I've seen as ageism going on a, a lot. And particularly when it comes to the debate and discussion over our presidential candidates because of uh, Joe Biden's age and Donald Trump's age. And actually, I don't know if you had seen this, Celeste, but a poll had just come out from Quinnipiac yesterday, uh, which shows, so our listeners know, that Biden holds a slight lead over President Trump in a hypothetical general election presidential matchup. But one of the questions that was asked of the folks who were polled for this was about age and whether the current and former presidents are too old to effectively serve another four-year term as president. Here's what happened. Voters 67 to 31 percent, Celeste, thought that Biden was too old. But those same voters... 57 to 41 percent thought that Trump was too old. And these type of conversations about their mental fitness purely based on their age clearly have repercussions beyond politics. And sadly, they can lead to stereotyping and bias. Yeah, you know, that's that's really interesting, Jeff. And it's 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 very interesting that um you know, people might look at two people who are relatively of the of the same age and view them as, uh, you know, sort of differently fit for for the office. But, you know, it's interesting. A new report seems to bear out the fact that age discrimination is happening regularly in the workplace. A new report by AARP found that about two thirds of adults over 50 years old believe older workers face discrimination in the workplace. And of that group, 90, 90% believe ageism is commonplace. And some interesting other uh, pullouts from this new AARP report, one in five older adults said they had personally experienced age discrimination since turning 40. About a quarter said they had heard negative comments about an older co-worker's age, and about half of older job seekers said they had been asked to provide a birth date on an application. Now, all of this comes amid reports about the rise in New York City's population of older adults, and experts uh, expect that that's only going to grow as the baby, baby boomer generation ages. Um, as you know, Jeff, because you do a lot of research, a 2021 CUNY <laughs> Graduate Center study found that the population of adults ages 65 and older in New York State will increase by 25 percent between 2021 and 2040. And that's compared to just 3 percent growth in the general population. And in New York City alone, the number of older adults is expected to rise by 40 percent in uh, by 2040. And this is happening as New Yorkers are living longer, Jeff. You know, and Celeste and I recognize that many of the people who call into this show and who've noted their age are in the older adult population. So we thought that today's show could help us and you to better understand the growing needs of the aging population in our city and in our state and whether investments in programs and services are really keeping pace to address them or are we seeing less of an investment, and that's curtailing the long-term care services and home care and other programs that are crucial for older New Yorkers? So with that, let's get to our first guest today. New York City Council Member Crystal Hudson represents District 35 in Brooklyn, and that covers the neighborhoods of Prospect Heights, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, and parts of Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy. She was elected in 2021, making history as one of the first out gay black women ever elected in the city. And she was recently reappointed to a uh, reelected to another two-year term and reappointed by the city council speaker to chair the council's aging committee. So let's bring her on. Crystal Hudson, welcome back to WBAI. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, to chat with you this evening. 
So given the recent demographic shift outlined in a, a report, in reports, especially one last year that came out from the Center for Urban Future, what are some of the specific challenges that older adults in our city and state are facing? I think um, older adults are facing lots of challenges, um, and, and they're not really dissimilar from some of the challenges that other folks are facing. The cost of living is incredibly high. Um, rent is, is very high. Um, the cost of health care is very high, um, you know, and being able to age safely and with dignity um, at home or in place is becoming more and more challenging, um, you know, here in New York City. Um, and so we also have, among our growing older adult population, we have um, a, a very large um, population of immigrant older adults as well. So even ensuring that um, they have access to culturally appropriate um, services and resources, including food um, at our older adult clubs, is, um, is, is, you know, something that we want to make sure um, everybody has access to. Well, Council Member Hudson, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you coming on the program. We think this is really important, so I'm glad you're here to talk about it. And you were a leader on the Council um, on the Age in Place uh, New York City legislative package in the 2022-23 fiscal year. Most of those measures did pass, but a few of them didn't. So can you just walk us through a little bit of the impact of the measures that did make it through and how those are going to improve or affect the daily lives of older people? Absolutely. Um, we, uh, I'm really proud of the work we were able to do last session, and we did that in partnership with so many of our um, partners and the great organizations on the ground doing the work, including um, AARP and, and Live On New York and, and so many others. Um, some of the bills that we passed address things like um, making it easier for folks to access telemedicine, um, making it easier for folks to age in place. So we had, for example, um, one bill that mandates universal design, which really I describe as, you know, ADA on steroids. Um, it's things like wider doorways, um, you know, grab bars and bathrooms, making sure basically that um, people can, can age in place and, and stay in their homes. And, you know, should they become um, mobility impaired or have challenges later on in life, that the apartment is already um, set up for them to, to thrive. Um, we also had um, legislation that addressed, uh, you know, some of what I was just referring to in terms of cultural competency and making sure that we have cultural competency in our older adult centers. But some of the work that we're, we're still looking to, to do this session is, um, you know, streamlining systems and programs for things like the senior citizen rent increase exemption um, program, making that easier, um, requiring um, and developing technical support programs um, for older adults and, um, you know, just generally trying to make everything um, and all services that older adults are going to access um, a lot easier. We're also looking at new measures for this session, including bills to require NYC aging to permit grab-and-go meals. So currently, NYC aging requires older adult centers to provide congregate meals in congregate settings um, where people have to come in, they have to sit down and have their meal. But what we've seen increasingly since the pandemic um, or since the height of the pandemic um, is that people want to, they want to come in, they want to grab their meal and they want to go. They want to go home or they want to go somewhere else um, or they want to be in a smaller setting, not necessarily in a congregate setting, although we still have 
great utilization of um, of older adult clubs and those congregate settings. But we want to we want to permit um, and have the ability um, for folks to provide grab and go meals. You know, it's so interesting when you say that, and this is a topic for another time, but I, I was just reading a piece recently, council member, just about, you know, as we get older, you know, one of the things we really need to pay attention to uh, are folks who are more, much more isolated. So as you're talking about this, it's reminding me this is a topic I want to come back to just about, you know, health and mental health beyond the legislative stuff. So uh, absolutely. Just, Jot that down because we're going to have you back to talk about that in the future. Okay. But let's get to a topic that that's good. plenty that to we, talk about there. Yeah, oh, I know. I definitely want to talk about that. The um, at the top of the show, we talked a little about that the mayor has walked back the next round of five percent cuts. There's already two that uh, he implemented, and we've got a budget proposal right now for the next fiscal year. But you know, obviously, a number of agencies, some were spared, but some have not been spared. And when it comes to the Department of Aging, I, we would really like your assessment on what the impact has been of cuts over the last few years and even in this current fiscal year and looking ahead, because I want people to know that you know what potential services that they're used to having right now might be on the chopping block. Might They might not be able to access based on the funding cuts. Yeah, I mean, I think older adult um, clubs for the next fiscal year in, in FY25 um, are certainly, you know, some cuts that have been proposed. Um, and we know that any cuts to our older adult centers um, could potentially cause them to close their doors. And um, we need to make sure that that does not happen. I think just to your earlier point, not to go too far into the topic, because I would love to come back and talk about it in greater detail, but when you think about um, mental health needs and social isolation, um, you know, what we don't want to do is create a, an environment or a system um, where older adult clubs have to close because of budget cuts. And the older adult population is one of the fastest growing populations, um, you know, that, that we're seeing in just in the next 15 years by 2040. Um, we will see a 25% increase in the older adult population in New York City. Um, and that, that's huge. You know, we have um, naturally occurring retirement communities, or NORCs as we call them. And in order to qualify as a NORC, um, a building or community has to have 20% of its population as older adults. Um, and, you know, essentially the city, the whole city will be a NORC or a naturally occurring retirement community. Um, and so I think... You know, we need to use this type of population data to inform our decisions when it comes to um, the budget. If you're just and joining last, us, this is yeah. driving. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this no, is no, driving forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I am noted interrupter of guests, Celeste Katz-Marston, and my co-host is Jeff Simmons. We are speaking with uh, New York City Council Member Crystal Hudson, who is the chair of the Committee on Aging. My apologies, Council Member, just trying to jam in that station ID. But um, we, we have lots of other questions that, again, very, very happy that we're talking about this. Wanted to ask you about this. And, and it sounds from what you're saying, you know, you think this is important to not just view aging and aging services in a silo to, to have sort of blinders on here, but, you know, to look at not only cuts to senior centers, but housing, food insecurity, issues like that. So curious to know what kinds of measures would you like to see uh, specifically to address, address housing challenges that are faced by something like more than half of older New Yorkers who spend just 
tons and tons of their income on having someplace to live. Yeah, I mean, I think when you when I think about uh, the older adult population in particular, I mean, not only is our, our housing costs just too high, but there it's also very difficult. Like, let's say somebody lives in a four or five story walk up, or even a three story walk up. You know, it could be an apartment that they've been in for thirty or forty, fifty years or longer, and it worked for them and was great, and is probably in a wonderful location. Um, you know, but like, and they, and they don't want to leave, but in order to keep them there, you know, they just can't necessarily walk up three, four or five stories any longer. And so we're, um, we're looking at ways that we can collaborate with, uh, agencies like HPD to think about, um, you know, measures we can take to, to help move people into lower units, um, also thinking about, I mentioned earlier, the senior citizen rent increase exemption, also the disability rent increase exemption, otherwise known as SCREE and DRE. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so we're looking at um, ways to expand outreach for those programs, also ways to automate um, applications for those programs. Um, Council Member Dinowitz just passed a, a great bill in, in, in my committee, um, you know, basically automating or helping to automatically fill in applications specifically for people living in Mitchell Lama buildings um, for SCREE. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we still have very antiquated systems in, in our city government. And so looking at ways to just make everything easier for folks. Um, also for homeowners, thinking about deed theft, uh, the, the Attorney General, Tish James, just recently um, formally criminalized um, deed theft. Um, and so what we see also is a lot of, um, you know, older homeowners who have literally had their homes ripped out of their hands. Um, we've seen homeowners evicted from their own homes. Um, and so w we just want to make sure that we can keep everybody in their homes, that we can also build more affordable housing specifically for older adults um, and make it overall just easier for people to live here. I think also about um, workforce opportunities, you know, and making sure that people have those opportunities because the cost of living is so incredibly high. And so we see a lot of older adults who need to go back to work. Um, and so making sure that workplaces are welcoming and competent and not ageist um, and, and making sure they understand the value in older workers and then also making sure that older workers have access to those um, various uh, opportunities. You know, it's such a good point. You know, my firm that I work with, we work with an entity called Reserve, and we've been working with some fantastic writers who retired but wanted to still kind of keep their hands, their toes right. into to writing, and it's just been fantastic. Um, I know we only have a few minutes left. I did not want to forget to ask this, and you did touch on very briefly, you referenced immigrants earlier. I know you've got a hearing, a joint hearing that's happening next week with the Committee on Immigration that will look at the uh, needs of older immigrant adults in the city. Can you let us a little know about what you hope to achieve from that? Yes, absolutely. Um, that hearing is on uh, Tuesday, February 27th. It's at uh, 10 a.m. and people can watch it live um, if you go to council.nyc.gov and, and click on the live stream button and folks can make sure they tune in to that. Um, but really, you know, we know that immigrants make up the majority of New York City's 65 and older population. And so we want to make sure that we are um, asking the right questions of the administration and also holding them accountable and finding out, um, 
you know, what are they doing for those populations? How are we making services, um, you know, culturally competent? How are we also making resources more readily available for folks? How are we talking to our older adult immigrant populations? Um, and how are we helping them um, also to live, you know, fulfilling and safe lives here in New York City? And Councilmember Crystal Hudson, before we let you go, regretfully, because we could definitely talk about this a lot more and we'll, we'll have to have you back on the program. But any other thoughts for, for people, you know, maybe um, older New Yorkers? Hello. Oh, do we still have Celeste? I think Celeste's yeah, sound she, might she have off. dropped off. I think she's still speaking, Councilmember, but we're not hearing her. So I'll just jump in right here while Celeste fix her sound. Um, before we let you go, what other issues as she was uh, asking about, uh, do you just want to make sure that our listeners know about that your committee, for instance, is going to look at this year? Well, um, we don't have our full committee schedule just yet, but we certainly will take suggestions and thoughts that, that people have. But generally, we want to address all of the issues that pertain to older adults. One thing I would just love to throw out there um, is also challenging people um, to think more about older adults and the needs of older adults. I always tell folks my age and younger, you know, we should all be invested in um, in, in the, the, the lives of older adults. Um, hopefully, we all will become older adults who are also living in New York City. Um, and so I think sometimes you have to put it in that perspective for people, for them to really have a genuine interest in um, the needs of, of older adults. But, um, you know, I would challenge people to think more about older adults, think about their neighbors, their family members, people in the community um, that they may see around, you know, uh, cultivating relationships with those folks, learning from them, speaking with them, and really understanding what their needs might be um, and being a little bit more sensitive to the needs of older adults. I think we are a society that does not value older adults. We have people work for their whole lives, and then we sort of forget about them once they're in retirement, and we, we let them fend for themselves. But I think we should be doing a whole lot more um, for our older adults who are really the gems of, of our communities um, and of society. So if I could leave, leave folks with just that thought, um, that, that would be it. Really appreciate it. And uh, Council Member Crystal Hudson, if people want to find out more about you and your work on aging and everything else, where can they go? Uh, they can follow me on social media on all platforms at CM Crystal Hudson. Crystal spelled like the gem, Hudson like the river. Um, you can also visit my website at council.nyc.gov and look for my name there. Councilmember Crystal Hudson, thank you so much for being with us here today on Driving Forces. We look forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and have a good evening. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with the incomparable Jeff Simmons. Jeff, that, this, I'm glad that we had that discussion. I'm sorry, I just had a little tech problem there, but made it back for the, uh, the stunning conclusion. But really, I'm, I'm genuinely glad that we're talking about this because I think this is something that we need to talk about more, not just because, you know, you and I are getting to that point in life, but, um, as, as a serious matter, if you look around, just we haven't necessarily created a world that works for older people. 
And uh, I think that as we, we certainly are aware of the fact that more people are living longer and that we're going to need certain uh, accommodations and a lot of more planning and a lot more provisions for, for people living longer lives and hopefully living them in a healthy way, but maybe not. Um, you know, I'm really glad that we're, we're able to talk about this. If you think about it, um, there's also some interesting information in that report that you pointed out, Jeff, uh, the Center for an Urban Future report. If you think about it, you know, nearly one in eight older New Yorkers is living in poverty. That's a big number. That's a big number if you think about it, Jeff. So, again, just want to say I'm very, very glad that you chose this topic for today because I do think it's important. You know, and I know we're going to jump right to our next guest in just a moment, but one of the things that I found very interesting was from uh, the report from the Center for an Urban Future, the discussion about where we're seeing a lot of the substantial growth, you know, and it's interesting to look at the different counties across the state where you're seeing such a significant rise, including my county of Queens here, but also Dutchess, Orange, Syracuse, Saratoga, Rochester, significant growth in New York's older population, which really requires a significant investment from the state. Absolutely. And I think that brings us right to our next guest. Uh, we are going to be speaking right now to State Director Beth R. Finkel, who leads the day-to-day -day operations of AARP New York, the most visible organization in the state that uh, advocates for New York's 50-plus population. So during her tenure as state director, uh, AARP's lobbying efforts on behalf of their 2.6 million members have led to historic reforms, including the passage of the CARE Act, assisted living protections, anti-predatory lending measures, paid family leave, and affordable housing in New York City legislation, and lots of other bills. So without further ado, here to talk about those, Beth Finkel. Welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI. Oh, hi, Celeste. Thank you for having me. It's up. It's our pleasure. So just want to start off kind of broadly. We just a few moments ago talked with New York City Council member Crystal Hudson about the situation in New York City and how city spending on aging services, you know, two rounds of 5% cuts already are going to affect older people in the city. So now we want to sort of look at that from the state perspective. You know, can you just give us a general overview of the sort of the needs and the challenges faced by older adults across New York State? So, you know, you were absolutely right. I mean, the same things that you talked about for New York City. And by the way, it was really great to hear from um, Council Member Hudson, who's been such a great advocate for older adults. And you're right, with the cuts that we're facing in New York City, it is, should be very troubling for all New Yorkers. And, of course, it is very troubling for older New Yorkers, particularly. But these are the people who built up our, our homes and communities. They're our neighbors. And what they want to do above all else is to age in their own homes and communities that they built up. So when we see the cuts that the mayor is suggesting, it really puts a chill through all of us and should through all of society. We should all feel that way. And so we're, we're really hoping that the city council, when they roll up their sleeves and address the, the mayor's budget, that they will figure out a way to fill in the gaps for this um, because we really have to make sure that older adults really get what they deserve. Um, and so when I think about the, the state, you know, one of the things is back to if you want to age in place, you have to have services in place to allow you to, to age in your own homes and communities. And those are the supports that we count on government to, to help us with. And people pay out, you know, out of their own pocket a lot of money 
to be able to stay at home, to be able to get the chore services that they need or the um, health care services that they need in their home. Um, but the people who really provide that service for the most part are family caregivers. Uh, they're really the backbone of our long-term care system. So if we think about how do we keep people aging in their own neighborhoods in Queens like Jeff or me in Manhattan, and what we really need to do is to, you know, figure out a way to uh, support those family caregivers, which costs a heck of a lot less money than if people ultimately have to go into a nursing home. So, Beth, just stay on that for a minute, because that's that's very interesting. You know, what does that look like when you say supporting caregivers? I mean, is that in in terms of like a, a voucher or tax break situation? Is that like availability for like I know, for example, there are uh, services in some places that uh, provide for just like a break for caregivers, just somebody to step in and give you a moment to go out and do what you need to do or self-care or whatever it is, what kinds of things um, would fall under that that umbrella? Well, actually, the State Office for the Aging and, and also uh, New York City uh, Department for the Aging, they all have programs that um, help pay for some services for people um, as they age in place. And that could be home-delivered meals, Meals on Wheels, right? We're all familiar with that. Um, but it could also be transportation to a doctor's office. It could be personal care, uh, you know, being able to, you know, take care of someone in their home. Um, and it could be grocery shopping or, or many other ways. Uh, and what happened in the budget this year is that the governor, we asked, there, there are currently... Let me back up. There are currently 16,000 people across New York State who are now waiting for some of these uh, home and community-based services. So they could be waiting for Meals on Wheels or any of those other ones that I just mentioned to you. And if they if, and if they have to remain on a waiting list, then literally, can you imagine the most fragile of our older adults are sitting at home on a waiting list, waiting for a meal to be delivered? And now the governor cut from the budget $9 million that was in last year's budget. And we already had 16,000 people waiting for services this year. So with the nine year, we need another 41 million this year, 42 million this year to cover the waiting list this year. And the governor cut it. And that's such a small piece of the budget pie. Um, New York State Office for the Aging gets under 1% of the whole state budget. And by the way, it's the same thing in New York City. New York City Department for the Aging gets under 1% of the whole budget. You guys have been talking about the demographic reports from the Center for Urban Future, which shows the huge growth, and there's no recognition of that. And if you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and my co-host, Les Katz-Marston, here in WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and also streaming live at WBAI.org. We're talking with Beth Finkel, State Director of AARP New York. Uh, you know, Beth, you mentioned the state office, and uh, I'm looking, I called it up on my screen to have ready because I want to make sure I reference this the right way. You and a number of other organizations, Lifespan, Live on New York, uh, as well, had written to uh, 
Andrea Stewart-Cousins, Majority Leader of the Senate, and Carl Heasty, the Speaker of the Assembly, about a number of your concerns about the proposed budget and how it could impact a number of services. I'd love for you to just briefly talk about one or two of the items that you feel that the legislature needs to step up and, and ensure are funded properly. Well, the first one is that home and community-based services, that $52 million that I just uh, outlined to you. And then on top of that, there is the long-term care ombudsman. So if you have a loved one who's in a nursing home, you might remember, I think all of us in New York remember the debacle of the COVID. Probably one of the major debacles was the mortality rate in our nursing homes. Over 15,000 people died in New York State nursing homes during COVID. This is the highest mortality rate far and away in the country. And in that time, we didn't have any oversight going into nursing homes. We never want to see that happen again. And so there is a volunteer program that's worked out of the State Office for the Aging. It's called the Long-Term Care Ombudsman, or LITCOP. And they train volunteers and some professional staff to go into nursing homes and to be a advocate for the folks that are in those nursing homes. So if they see that, you know, Mrs. S is tied to a wheelchair and sitting in a corner all day, they can report it to the Department of Health. If they see that someone is not getting their um, personal hygiene seen to, if they see that they're not getting their meals or the right meals or the culturally appropriate meals, they can put those complaints into Department of Health. The United States government recommends that every nursing home in the country get a visit once a week. This is the part that astounds me. In New York State, the last quarter of last year, only 12% of all the nursing homes and assisted living and adult homes in New York State who were supposed to get that one visit per week, only 12% of those institutions got that one visit once a week, which means 88% of people in nursing homes across New York State had no wherewithal of someone looking out for them. And that just should make all of us really, I, I get fearful when I think about it. It's unconscionable. And yet, we've been asking for $15 million to professionalize that program, and yet the governor cut uh, $2.5 million dollars for the budget for this year to lessen the number, the money that can go for long-term care ombudsman. We need $15 million. That's not a lot for New York State budget. $15 million, it's, it's pennies to make sure that our loved ones and our friends and neighbors who now have to live in nursing homes, somebody's keeping an eye out for them. We're talking to Beth Finkel, who is the state director of AARP New York. And Beth, I, I don't know if this is a question you can answer, but I would be interested in you trying to answer it. You know, we've talked at several points during this program about age discrimination. And I'm just wondering, do you think that when people are looking for places to cut in a budget, it's easier somehow to say, oh, well, you know, let's cut the aging budget. Let's cut services for older people. Like somehow that's more reasonable or politically palatable than cutting schools or parks or, or anything else. Uh, you know, wh where do you sort of fall in on that? I, I think you had, right, I don't know the reasons for it, but you, you opened up this show today talking about age discrimination and ageism. And I, I don't know how else you would, 
address this except that this that, that saying that this is ageism. There's just no other way to talk about it. I just said to you the budgets for New York City and New York State departments of the aging less than one percent. And so, you know, when you look at um, how people talk about aging, you know, it's interesting because AOP, of course, does a lot of research on this. And um, over the last 20 years, there has been an increase in the use of aging as a synonym for decline. So there's that, the positive side of aging, the, the respect for older people. Um, we're not getting that. We're getting so much more of the negative stereotypes around aging. You see it all over. Uh, if you, we've done an, uh, we've analyzed word, word use online, and it's it, it's it's worse now than it has been over the th- past fifty years, and uh, that's just unbelievable to me. But more importantly, we're all going to age, and and how do we want to be treated? You know. It, 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 you, you hear ageism all, all over the place. How often do we hear someone say, oh, she looks good for her age? That's not, that's not a compliment. <laughs> it's as if you know, the natural uh, progression of aging is, is something uh, to be thought of as so negatively. And, of course, the impact in the workplace, as you gave that data of workplace um, discrimination. It, and, by the way, those are people... Two and three workers who are actually 40 years old and older are feeling that. You know, so when you talk about ageism, it's not just about people who are, you know, senior citizens or older adults. I mean, that's going back to people in their 40s who are seeing it and starting to feel it now. And that should send a chill through all of us. It really does, and Jeff, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you uh, uh, go on in one second. But I just want to point out that I, I can confirm this. I mean, I have worked at some uh, some media companies specifically. I'm not going to name names. I'm a nice guy for for now, but um, as somebody uh, in my early 40s, uh, or the oldest being the oldest person in the company, including the founders, including the founders, and it showed. And I definitely felt that rift. Um, I had that experience of in my early forties being perceived as an older person or the older person. And it's not fun, Jeff. Wow. So I want to just jump in, Beth. I know we have to wrap up in about a minute. If people are listening, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, a number of the people who call this show and have talked a little about their age, you know, are older adults. And I think this is important for them to know if they are hearing this and they want to get involved or advocate for the needs of older adults in the face of proposed budget cuts, where can they go? How can they get involved with AARP New York or any campaigns? And then let our listeners also know about a website that they can check out uh, so they could learn more about these initiatives. Absolutely. So they need to go to www.aarp.org forward slash NY. And that'll take you to our New York office. We uh, have a very, very exciting volunteer program. People can do so many different things here. And most important, they can advocate. We're going to be out uh, in front of City Hall, by the way, uh, this coming Wednesday on the 28th. uh, And we're going to be sharing what we think that uh, New York City Council needs to look at for the best policies for older New Yorkers. 50-plus New Yorkers and what they deserve. We hope you'll join us. Very important. 
Very important. Beth Finkel, I want to thank you so much for appearing here on Driving Forces with Celeste and me today. Definitely important information, and uh, we'll make sure that we also share some of it on our Facebook page to remind people about the rally that's going to take place on the steps of City Hall on the 28th. Beth Finkel, thanks so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you. If you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York and also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Jeff Simmons and my co-host Celeste Katz-Morstan and I are, as promised, opening up the phone lines now. So give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Let us know what you think about the conversations you just heard. Let us know about the resources you think are essential to address ageism on a societal level and the investments you feel are needed to better support older adults. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be right back with your calls.
to live. Welcome back to Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming at WBAI.org. That was Five for Fighting 100 Years. I'm Celeste Katz Marston and my co-host Jeff Sims and I have opened up those phone lines. Give us a call 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. It is time to hear from you. We're talking about aging. Everybody's doing it. Every single person who is listening to this program is aging right at this very moment. So unless we have a full audience of like Benjamin Buttons out there, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. Do you think that we do enough for older people? Are you an older person who's trying to get services, is worried about the services that you rely on to live a healthy, comfortable life and maybe having some of those services taken away from you, from your parents, from your grandparents? 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. You know, and Celeste, what's interesting is, you know, what uh, just came out this week, too, and it's been on my mind, even when uh, the council member was speaking uh, earlier, uh, you you had asked a question about housing, and a report came out this week from Robin Hood and Columbia University's Center on Poverty and Social Policy about how poverty in the city has increased by eight or from 18% in 2021 to 23% in 2022. Mm. And you might not think that's a lot, but truthfully it is. And you have to think of the challenges that many people are facing in our city right now. It's just, it feels, you know, I mean, look, as we get older, we start to think a lot more seriously about how are we going to survive? How can we keep a roof over our heads? How are we going to be able to feed ourselves and possibly our, our children or our grandchildren if they're in, in you know, uh, the low income bracket? as well. Really a lot of considerations. One thing I also wanted to mention, we talked a little about Biden and uh, and Trump at the beginning of the show and the discussion about their age. There was a, a fantastic, really good analytical piece in the New York Times just about this issue about a week ago. And, you know, what's interesting is that as this election, general election contest is shape, taking shape right now, this may not be, as the Times points out, may not be the last time that we see two individuals of that age running for, for presidents, for the presidency. If you want to call in to discuss this or anything we've talked about today on the show, please give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And I know we also want to take a moment while we're waiting for calls to remind our listeners about the value of supporting this show, Celeste. Right. And I think that this is something that I'm really, again, I keep saying this because I keep meeting this, you know, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Not every program invites you to call in and say what you want to say, how you want to say it. This program does, this station does. WBAI is committed to giving voice to real New Yorkers about really important issues, but we can't do that without your help. Please go to WBAI.org. Help keep the voice of the real New York alive by making a donation to this station. Become a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces. That's where you make a recurrent donation. It doesn't have to be a lot. 
I would love it if it was a lot. I would love it more if it was a lot, a lot, but in an amount that is reasonable and sustainable for you to help us sustain this station, to give voice to real people with free speech, non-commercial, independent radio, WBAI.org. That's WBAI.org. And thank you. And we're going to get to those calls right now. Let's get that first caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces. What's your name and what's on your mind today? Yes, my name's Howard from Scarsdale. And I was just wondering when my mother uh, started to get dementia, she started donating a lot of money, but there were scam calls. So I was wondering if uh, eventually my brother um, and all unknown phone numbers, that they would just go to voicemail and she wouldn't know that they called. But is there any protection for seniors regarding that? Because there's so many scam callers now. And I, now that I'm 66, I see I'm getting a lot of them. But I, know oh, I, I have scams. to tell you, the, the volume, sir, of the calls, the, the scam calls that I get and texts, because apparently that's in the last few years, they, they, it's just swelling, the number. I... You know, my, the first thing I do is if I don't know who it is, I don't recognize that number. I don't pick up. And I also use a filter. But one thing I do want to point out, because I am a member of AARP and I get their magazine and I get all their information, they regularly like alert people to the types of scams and the types of steps you can take. I can't easily identify specific ones other than what I do in my own life is if I don't recognize that number, I don't pick up. Let them leave a message and, oh, then, I'll, and then I'll investigate. But my mother, who had dementia while she was alive, uh, she would pick up. So she mm -hmm. didn't know to not pick up. So for people one, that are in that condition, you know, is there any protection one, for them? One thing you can do, and I know it's not going to be effective in every single case, but there is uh, the do not call registry, um, which you can add phone numbers to the do not call registry. Uh, I, st I have done it. I do still get some spam calls, scam calls. I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of, you know, I get text messages and so on. So it's not 100% foolproof, but that no, is one true. thing. You can also make a report with the police. Um, you know, will they, I mean, are they going to show up with sirens blazing because you got like a weird, uh, scam or spam call? Uh, probably not, but, uh, you know, sometimes there's strength in numbers. If, if there are multiple reports about similar scams, at the very least, it helps, uh, it helps agencies and interest groups publicize who's doing this. Right. I mean, I did the do not call, but it said on the website that it's mainly boxed like legitimate businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. And, and I appreciate the call very much. Thank you for calling it. It is a huge problem. So we would definitely like everybody out there to be careful and to be aware of the fact that, um, you know, all Americans, but particularly older people can be threatened or bullied or, or tricked by these mm -hmm. ridiculous calls. So definitely important to, to be aware of that. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We are a legitimate radio station. You can call us without fear. We're going to go to our next call. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, yes, my name is Roberta. I'm an ex-city employee and I have two comments. One is about okay. age and competence. It's not necessarily the age it's whether your brain is functioning if you listen to ralph nader he's older than everybody and he's sharper than most of us so it's not just age it has to do with whatever is going on in your neurological makeup mm -hmm. 
So it's not age in and of itself is not an indicator. Mm-hmm. Secondly, in terms of being able to survive in New York, uh, I think many of your listeners, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the previous mayor and the current mayor have been attempting to privatize the Medicare services of city retirees, claiming that they, they need to save money. Now, the amount of money that the city pays for retirees on Medicare is really very small because the city only pays the 20 percent of doctor's mm-hmm. bills that Medicare does not pay. So, and, Roberta? Yes. Oh, Roberta, I'm going to just say if you could keep it brief only because we have to wrap the show no matter what within two minutes. Any other final thought? But just if you I could keep it brief. I just want to say my current feeling is we better pass the New York Health Act because that's the only way that we're going to be safe if, is if we have health care for everybody. Roberta, thank you. Thank you so much for calling. And that's something Celeste and I did talk about at one point when we had, uh, well, now retired Assembly Member uh, Dick Gottfried on the show. We talked about that issue. So I know we're going to have to wrap up, Celeste, in just a moment or two. Yeah, we want to we want to thank our guests, New York City Council Member Crystal Hudson and AARP New York State Director Beth Finkel. Of course, we want to thank all of our listeners and especially everybody who's going to take the time to go to WBAI.org today and support this station. Jeff, you're back on Sunday. Yep, I will be back here at 8 a.m. on Sunday with City Watch and my co-host Carlos Menchaca. Uh, next week, by the way, folks, Celeste and I are preempted because there's going to be a special on. So we will be back on March 7th. And if I'm correct, Celeste, you have lined up a very good guest or a, a topic. You yeah, we, to we are working on that. We are hoping to have a very good discussion. I want to I don't want to pop the uh, <laughs> pop the news until I have it all nailed down. But we will definitely have an outstanding show for you. Not next Thursday, but the following when we are back from the preemption. Great. And one other thing I want our listeners to know about, many of you who've listened to WBAI for some time have gotten used to and loved James Ursay, one of our colleagues here at BAI who recently passed away. Mark your calendars for Sunday, March 3rd. WBAI is going to be devoting much of our programming that day to remembering our colleague, James Ursay. Um, I know on City Watch, Carlos and I have invited on a number of people who've known him through the years or who have enjoyed his shows. They're going to be calling in. Please make a point of listening to WBAI on Sunday, March 3rd for this extensive coverage about James and how just he was such an amazing colleague. Before we go, we want to thank you so much for tuning in to Driving Forces. Democracy Now! is coming up next, followed by Chris Hedges, the Chris Hedges Report, and then Black Agenda Radio. Lots of great shows on WBAI. Do not change that dial. On behalf of Celeste and me and everyone here at BAI, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you on the radio back in two weeks. 